Uh, Jared messaged me yesterday and asked me if I would be willing to read the scripture this morning. So if you could stand with me. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. It is on the overhead behind me. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You guys can be seated. God, I pray that, um, that you would be with me as I preach. Um, Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. So I pray that, that you would fill me with your spirit now and that you would um, speak through me, speak through your words to the people here in this room. Nobody's here by accident. You sovereignly ordained that every single person who's in this room would be here this morning. And, and you've brought every single one here for a purpose. And that purpose is that you would be glorified. So I pray that you would be glorified by the response of our hearts to your word this morning. God, I pray that you would have your way in our lives. I pray that uh, whatever might be in our lives that's, that's keeping us from you, that's separating us from you, would, um, would be removed this morning. And that we would have fellowship with you and with one another, uh, just as you prayed for Jesus. That's what I pray would happen here in this body of believers. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that's not born again, that is, that is not saved, that, that is not filled with the Holy Spirit, that does not know Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray, God, that you would do the most glorious miracle uh, that there is and that you would give them a new heart and put a new spirit within them. There's no greater miracle than that. I pray that you would do it this morning for your glory so that your name would be praised. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you might notice that um, this is not Romans. We've been going through a series in Romans, and I decided to call an audible, and I get to teach Canadians what that means this morning. If you're not familiar with football, American football, an audible is when you change the play at the last second. Uh, in American football. You have a play called and you decide to change the play at the last second. Well, that's what happened for me. Uh, I decided to go ahead. We're going to take a break, a uh, one-week break from our series in Romans and address uh, something else that I felt like needed to be uh, addressed this morning. Uh, so we're going to be talking about uh, church membership um, and, and why it matters to be committed to a local church. And uh, so that's the, the topic that we're going to be going over this morning. Um, 
I was reading um, uh, a funny joke the other morning, and I'm going to share it with you. So there, uh, one Sunday morning, there were two men who were out on a boat, and they were fishing. And after several hours out on the lake, they hadn't caught a single fish, and uh, it, was, uh, it was on a Sunday morning. And so one of the men said to his friend's friend, you know, we probably should have stayed home and just gone to church this morning. And the other man said, well, I could have stayed home, but I couldn't have gone to church. His friend said, what do you mean? Why not? And he said, well, my wife is sick. Some, for some of you, it's going to go over your heads. For some of you, it's going to take a second to, to get it. If you didn't get it, you can come to me after service and ask me. There is, in our, in our society as a whole today, there's a, a, in general, there's a resistance to commitment to anything. Uh, we see it in marriage, for example. Uh, people get married much later in life than they ever did. Uh, obviously, divorce rates are much higher than they ever were. Uh, there's a lack of commitment just in daily activities. One of the things I see in younger people in particular is they, uh, they want to keep their options open. Uh, they don't want to get boxed into anything, uh, and so they uh, organize their lives in such a way that they have lots and lots of choices, and they never have to get locked into anything, uh, because I, I think a lot of times people think that, that they're free when they do that. They're still free to make choices, that I can have freedom by keeping my options open. Um, that obviously, not only do we see that in marriage and with jobs, I, I read that um, uh, the average uh, length uh, that somebody, a college graduate, stays with an employer now is just four years, which is amazing. Uh, so if you're, you know, if you have a 40-year career, on average, that means you're going to work for 10 employers, the average person, uh, which is really mind-blowing uh, in today's day and age. Back, you know, 50 years ago, that didn't happen. You may have worked for maybe two or three employers. Some, uh, like my grandfather, I know, he worked for one <laughs> employer. Uh, he worked for NASA, uh, and um, he worked for NASA for 40 plus years. Uh, he started with them and he retired with them and that was it, right? Uh, today, that's almost unheard of to do that. There's, you know, and, and that lack of commitment shows up in uh, commitment to church as well, in commitment to a local church. Uh, people are very reticent to commit to a church. Here's uh, uh, some, an example of uh, how we can see this in society. So 60% of Canadians claim to be Christian. And that is the loosest definition of Christian that we can use. So that would be uh, Catholic, you know, mainline, Protestant, evangelical, anything that could possibly fall under the umbrella of Christian, according to the Canadian government, uh, is, you know, that's what that entails. So 60%, three out of five Canadians say, yep, that's me. I'm some sort of Christian. Meanwhile, just 13% of Canadians on any given week are in a religious service. And that's not just Christians, that's all faiths. Just 13% of Canadians are in church on any given Sunday. And that includes Christians, that includes uh, Muslims, that includes Hindus, Jews, you name it, all of them. If we want to talk about Protestants, so Christians who, um, you know, believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and it's only by uh, faith in him that we're saved, uh, only 4% of Canadians are in a Protestant church on any given Sunday. And yet 60% say that I'm a Christian. So there's a disconnect there, obviously, right? Because the vast majority of the people who are claiming to believe this are not involved really in a community of Christians on a at least a consistent basis. 
we like to keep our options open. Uh, in case something better comes along, or maybe in case God doesn't follow through, at least we don't have this you know, commitment that we have to break. Or at least we don't feel like we have a commitment that we have to break. But the reality is, is that not choosing to commit is still a choice. I think we, we, we don't realize that sometimes. The choice to, to not choose is still a choice. You've made a decision, regardless of if you think you have or not. You've made the decision to not choose. And more choices doesn't actually bring freedom. It actually brings slavery. And there have been, uh, socio, uh, there have been uh, social experiments done on this uh, where they will uh, take people, and I, I was reading about some of them, I didn't write any of it down, but where they'll take people, for example, and they'll put them in front of a menu with 30 options, and then they'll uh, have people go to a menu with three options, and the stores that have three options sell exponentially more uh, items than the store with 30 options. Because fewer choices, for whatever reason, gives people less anxiety, right? Uh, but, but we think that there's freedom in having more choices. The, the, the truth couldn't be uh, any different. So this keeping your options open stuff is pretty foreign to Jesus. It's pretty foreign to Scripture. I mean, just think about some of what Jesus said if you want to be his disciple. He said in Matthew 10.38, Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So taking up your cross means that's a, that's a death instrument. That's dying to your old life. That's you know cutting bait with everything that you had before and, and walking in a new life, leaving everything behind. Right? He said in Luke 9.62, No one who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So Jesus clearly doesn't agree with this whole, let's just keep our options open and so, in case something better comes along thing. Right? No, Jesus wants us to leave behind and to cut off every other option and to follow him. I mean, that's what he, when you look at Matthew 4, for example, and he calls uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were uh, fishing. Right? And he says, hey, come and follow me and I'll teach you how to become fishers of men. And what did they do? They left their nets. They left their father and they left their boat behind and they followed him. They literally just left. Or what about Elisha? I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Elisha and Elijah, but Elijah was, was the prophet of God, and God told Elijah, hey, Elijah, uh, I'm about to bring you home, and I want you to go to Elisha, and he's going to carry on the work that you've been doing. And so Elijah goes and finds Elisha, and Elisha is just working in his fields. And he's got a, a yoke of 12 oxen, and he's got a cart. He's working the fields, and he and we don't do this today. Like This isn't how you get called into ministry today. Uh, but I, Elijah goes and throws his cloak over Elisha, which basically told Elisha that, like, hey, my mantle is getting passed to you. So what did Elisha do? Did he go, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, can I do this part-time, Elijah? God, is it okay if I do this part-time and maybe I'll, I'll keep my side job over here plowing the fields and I'll work, you know, 30 hours a week? No, what, you know what he did? It says that he broke apart his cart and he slaughtered the 12 oxen and he offered them as a sacrifice on the altar, and then he left, and he said, all right, I'm gone. He didn't, even leave any, he didn't even leave the door open for him to come back and change his mind. He literally destroyed his livelihood as he knew it to go and follow God's call. The great need in Canada today is for Christians to commit to the local church 
and live within Christian community the way that Jesus intended. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, by the way that you love one another, within the context of Christian community. Okay. Now, the question that one of the questions that I want to address this morning is a question that I hear all the time, uh, and I, and I there's a lot of confusion surrounding this uh, from people not just in the church but outside the church. And that question is this: Can you be a Christian and not be committed to a local church? Can you be a Christian and not be committed to a local church? All right, so. Um, Lots of people have opinions about that. If you were to go and just start stopping people randomly on the street and ask that question, the majority of the people, and I know this because we've ta- asked people about this and we've talked to people about this, and this is what we hear most of the time. Most of the time we hear, yes, religion is a private thing between you and God, and it's not really anybody else's business, and you don't need to uh, do it in community with other people or do it publicly. It should be within the own walls of your house. That's where it should be, and that's where it should stay, and it's nobody else's business. But that, Now, that's the prevailing sentiment uh, of the culture. But what I want us to do is I want us to go to the Bible, and I want us to see what God says about this question, okay? So we want to go to Scripture and see what the Word of God says about this question, all right? So I want you to try this morning. I don't know where you're at on this question. Maybe this is going to be a challenging message for you. Maybe this is something you've been confused about, but try to set aside um, you know, biases or, or anything like that. Just set it aside this morning and, and, and ask, even ask God right now in your seat, God, uh, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to open myself up for whatever you want to tell me in your word. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it, okay? I'm going to show you what's in here, all right? So that's what we're going to do this morning. So the passage that we read, that, that Cheryl read earlier, Matthew 16, 13 to 19, in that passage, Jesus makes two statements about the church. There's two statements about the church. All right. The first statement that he makes is this. I am the authority over the church. Jesus is the authority over the church. Okay. In verse 16, Peter, uh, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Uh, And Peter answers, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the chosen one. You are the leader of God's people. You are the one, the rescuer who has come back to redeem the people of God. The Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church. That's all over the New Testament. He's the head of the church. All things are subject to Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the door to the church. There's no other way into the the people of God. By the way, uh, I guess I should mention this. The church is not a building. The church is people. The church is the people of God, okay? And it's a community. The only way into that community is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way into the covenant people of God. You must place your faith and your trust in Jesus. Here's why. Every single one of us is separated from God due to our sin, okay? All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can measure up to God's holy standard, okay? So all of us are outside. We are alienated from God's community, okay? Now, God loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Included in that everlasting life is is being united again with God. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ died for sinners that he might bring us to God. 
John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one whom you have sent. So all throughout the New Testament, we see that the, the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross for your sin and then rising from the dead is so that we could be reunited, we could be united with God so that, so that the sin that separated us from Him would be gone and we could be whole again with Him and with each other, okay? Because sin doesn't just fracture relationships between us and God, it also fractured, fractures relationships with each other. I mean, you see that in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 Adam and Eve eat the fruit. What happens? They hide from God, right? They hide from God. And then what's the next thing? When God confronts Adam, what does Adam do? He blames Eve. It's her fault. What do we see in chapter 4? Cain gets jealous of Abel and so he murders his brother, right? Right off the bat, it doesn't even take us four chapters into this big old book. And we're already murdering each other. And we're already defiant against God and wanting to be our own God. That's what sin does. It, It it wreaks havoc in our lives. But the gospel cures all that and it heals all of that. Jesus is the only way into God's covenant community. Only those who believe that he is the Christ, the Savior, only those can enter the kingdom of God. He decides who enters and who doesn't. Now, if by asking um, the question, Um, Can you be a Christian and not be committed to a local church? If by asking that you mean, is it possible to be saved and not go to church? Then the answer is yes, it's possible. Because church going does not earn favor with God. Trusting in Jesus does. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Okay, So church going does not earn you favor with God. Church going does not cause uh, make it more likely that you can go to heaven. There's only one way to go to heaven. That's by placing your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's it. There is no other way, okay? So is it possible? Yeah, absolutely it's possible. Perhaps you're a new Christian and you just, you know, nobody's ever even told you that why you're supposed to be in covenant community. But on the other hand, if by asking the question, can I be a Christian and not be committed to a local church, if by that you mean, can I be a faithful Christian if I don't commit to a local church to serve and to grow? Then the answer is no. You cannot be a faithful Christian if you knowingly refuse to commit to a local church to be uh, under the authority of the local church, to serve the local church, and to grow in the local church. You cannot be a faithful Christian if you are refusing that. It's, it would be like asking can I be an apple tree and not produce apples? It's just being a part of God's covenant community is part of what it means to be a Christian. Here's why. Here's the second statement. The second statement gives us the reason why that Jesus makes about the church. Jesus has delegated His authority to the church. So Jesus has authority over the church and He has delegated that authority to the church. Verse 18 and 19 He says to Peter, he says, And you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So that phrase, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and 
in that language, the authority to bind and to loose means that Jesus has given the church authority to include or exclude someone from the kingdom of God. And what is that authority? That authority is the gospel that we preach. It is by the gospel that we preach that someone is either included or excluded from the kingdom of God. If you receive the gospel and believe it, you are included into the kingdom of God. If you reject it, you are excluded from the kingdom of God. So it is only as the church proclaims the gospel with our mouths out loud that people can hear it and and essentially get the keys to the kingdom. The keys to the kingdom of God is the gospel that we preach, okay? And Jesus has placed elders or overseers or pastors, it's all an interchangeable word, same thing, elder, overseer, pastor. Jesus has placed these leaders over the church who are stewards of this authority, okay? Elders are stewards of this authority. So the authority that Jesus has given pastors and leaders is not their own authority. I don't derive any authority that I have in myself. It is, it is given to me and to other elders by God. And it's not my authority, and I don't get to decide what the rules are. He does. Let me give you an example to try to make sense of this. Suppose there was a king uh, who was going on a long trip, and he gave authority uh, over his castle to his guards. And he told his guards uh, what kind of people can enter the castle and what kind of people cannot enter the castle. And he gave them charge to... Uh, stand guard at the castle, and he also told them how people should act within the castle, right? Now, when the guards either refuse someone entry into the castle or allow someone entry, they're not doing that on their authority. It's not because they said so. They're only doing so with the authority of the king. They are speaking in the name of the king. They don't get to make up their own rules about who comes in the castle and who doesn't. They don't get to play favorites. They just People come in and out by the word of the king. The guards are merely carrying out the king's wishes, not their own. To sit under the authority of the local church is to sit under the authority of Jesus. And that's how God has designed it. He's delegated his authority to the local church. So here's what the implication of that is. If you refuse to sit under the authority of a local church with shepherds, you are refusing to sit under Jesus' authority. Okay? Jesus has, like, guys, Jesus has united himself to the body. Um, we, we can't get Jesus without the church. There's no way to get Jesus without the church. There's no way to uh, be under the church's authority without being under Jesus' authority and vice versa. Listen to what Jesus says in John 17, 20 and 21. He's praying to the Father for us, and here's what he says. He says, I do not ask for these only, these disciples only, but also for those, all those who will believe in me through their word. That's you if you're a Christian. He's praying for you. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, there's two things that Jesus is praying for there. First, he's praying that we would be one with each other, that Christians would be as united with one another as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are united, as the Trinity is united. The Father and the Son are pretty united. They're pretty closely linked. 
right? Jesus wants us to have that same unity. And then he prays that, that we, as a whole, would also have unity with God. So he, he wants us to be united with one another and as a whole to be united with him. Jesus has bound himself to the church. He has so closely linked himself with the church. He has married himself to his bride. You can't have Jesus without the bride. That would be like you inviting me over to your house and you say, well, you can come in, but your wife can't come in. I don't want, Jen can stay outside. I'm not coming in. If you're going to make my wife stay outside, I don't want to come in. I'm staying with her because I'm linked to her. My love has been given to her and her love has been given to me. That's, that's, that's what it's like with Jesus and the bride. You can't have him without the bride. You can't be committed to him without being committed to the local church. This is where church membership becomes important. But now, some of you uh, astutely might say, well, Jared, there, the Bible doesn't talk about church membership. It doesn't have the word church membership in there. And you're right. The Bible doesn't have the word church membership. It also doesn't have the word discipleship. There's lots of words. It doesn't have the word missionary. There's lots of words that it doesn't have, but the concept is certainly there. The concept is certainly present in Scripture. For example, Paul goes around to the churches that he's planted in Acts, uh, Acts 14 and Acts 16, and he appoints elders in the local church. So he appoints specific leaders in specific places for specific churches. So clearly, while the Bible was still being written, this was already being put in place. Um, Paul was writing to local churches. Lots of the epistles in the New Testament are letters written to specific churches. And he's, he's uh, talking to specific leaders in these churches. He puts Timothy, uh, Timothy was a, was a pastor at the church in Ephesus. Titus was a pastor at the church in Crete. And then there's church, the existence of church discipline. Church discipline wouldn't even be possible without membership. You can't hold people accountable if you don't know who's in the community and who's out of the community, right? We can't hold somebody accountable that has not agreed to, to be in community and to want to be accountable, right? Like I can't go walk on the street and, you know, go rebuke somebody and say, I'm putting church discipline on you because you're not, you know, like living right or whatever. Like they're not in the church. I, I don't have any right to say anything to them, right? They're not in our community. We haven't covenanted with one another. In the same way, somebody out there on the street can't come up to me Right and like somebody from another church can't come up to me and you know rebuke me or whatever for you know doing this and that. We're not covenanted together. I want to give you guys um, two more reasons why we should celebrate church membership. What I've been trying to do so far is show you that it's vital, and that if you're going to be connected to Jesus, you have to be connected to His bride, and. What I want to do with the rest of our time is show you two more reasons why you should, not only uh, that it's right for you uh, to uh, celebrate church membership and why it's a, it's a good thing, but that it's actually something that is beneficial for you and desirable for your life. First of all, Christians should want to be around each other. Like Christians want to be around each other, right? Are, are you devoted to other believers or are you drifting away? And do you find do you want to be around other believers? That's a that's a that's a really good question to ask yourself. It's an important question to ask yourself. Do you want to be around other Christians? Acts two forty two describes uh, the first church, and it says that.
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. It says that day by day, they were, they were gathering t- together and breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, going to the temple, praising and worshiping God. Those people really loved each other. Like they really wanted to spend time together. I'll just be honest. It's difficult to believe you love Jesus if you don't want to be around the people who are filled with His Spirit. I mean, like, if you love Jesus, why wouldn't you want to be around people who have His Spirit in them? Another way to put that would be, if you don't want to be around people who are like Jesus, it's because you don't like Jesus. That's just the God-honest truth. And it's been, um, it's been so cool at at Fellowship Oshawa to watch uh, the way that um, people have come around. Uh, we've got, uh, I didn't even ask her permission for this, so I'm not going to say her name. Some of you will know who I'm talking about, some of you won't, but um, we've got a, a young woman in our church who's been dealing with uh, a lot and has, has had a lot on her plate. It's just been so cool to watch so many of the people, so many of the other members in our church come around her and support her and be there for her and sit through appointments with her and go pick things up for her and just like they've been there. Somebody's been there when she's needed it. Why would you not want to be in a community like that? Yeah, of course there's a risk whenever you put yourself out there and you commit to a community like that. You can't love without risk. It's impossible. But in this community, in a community like this, in a New Testament community, in a church There's grace, and grace always outweighs the risk. Grace means there's always forgiveness. Grace means that reconciliation is always possible. So even if we do hurt each other's feelings because we're still people and we still have a sinful nature, reconciliation is always possible. Forgiveness is always possible. Grace means that we can humble ourselves and and we don't have to try to win or to be right all the time since we're all saved by grace anyways. So really, which one of us can boast? We can't. Grace creates a safe community wherein we're all on level ground. We all stand before God clean by grace and we're free to love one another and not compare ourselves to one another and not slander each other and backbite one another. And maybe we forget that sometimes because like I said, we're, we're sinners. We have a sinful nature. Sometimes the the old person's going to come out and we're going to say something to somebody we didn't mean or, or we're going to go and talk about somebody behind their back and we know we shouldn't have. But guys, that, that's why grace exists, so that we can make those things right. That's why when the disciples asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive our brother if he sins against us? Seven times? Jesus said no. Seventy times seven. A.K.A. infinity. That's what Jesus meant. This is also, by the way, a perfect opportunity to show the world the grace of Jesus Christ towards us, right? I mean, you want, to be a, you want to be an attractive community. You want people in Oshawa to know the love of Jesus. You want people to, to see an example of the gospel. Then let them get a glimpse into the way that we love one another, into the way you forgive somebody who's wronged you, even when they don't deserve it, into the way you refuse to participate in gossip and slander. I'm not going to talk about that person behind their back. Instead, I'm going to only speak words that build up and uplift. What a witness. How different is that from what we see in the world, right? How different is that? Guys, the people all around us are are desperate to see a community like that. 
people are lonelier than they've ever been. You know, I, I, I was reading through a book, and uh, I, I saw a statistic in there that blew me away. Um, it said that 25% of people in, this was in the U.S., 25% of, the, of people in the U.S. have nobody to which they can go to talk to about serious things in their life. People over the age of 45, 33% of people over the age of 45 said that they dealt with chronic loneliness. One out of three, chronic loneliness, which means they are always lonely, always. Guys, despite what Facebook may tell you and you know, Snapchat and whatever and all this stuff, you know, the, oh, we've got more ways to be connected. The reality is, is that we're more disconnected than we've ever been. It's all surface level. It's surface level. It's paper mache. It doesn't, it doesn't hold any weight at all. These relationships are weightless and we're dying from the inside out. People need to see a picture of community the way that God intended it. Another reason we should celebrate church membership is that Christians want to walk in the light, not hide in the dark. You notice in our passage, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 19. He said that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Two chapters later, Jesus repeats basically the same thing. In chapter 18, he's talking about what to do if somebody within the community, the Christian community, offends you. So somebody in your local church community offends you, what do you do? Well, he said, first you go to them and you, you talk to them about, hey, what you did hurt me. If they don't listen, then you take a couple of your Christian brothers and sisters with you and go to them again. Hey, what you did hurt me. If they still don't listen, then you take it to the church, right? Which would mean like the elders, the leadership of the church, okay? And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 18. He says, if he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let that person be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So there you see that term again, bind and loose. Bind and loose. What this means is that Jesus stands behind the judgment of the elders, and the elders make judgments governed by the Word of God, okay? So church discipline, a lot of people, when people think of church discipline, they think of like this, you know, public shaming where you're walked up to the front and, you know, like, you, you know, you get called out and it's only for people who've done like really bad things, you know, like adultery or something like that. Or, you know, I've, some of you may have heard in the news a few weeks ago about, um, the, you know, another church here in Oshawa and there was a big uh, to-do about uh, what happened with a member there, right? And it got out in the media, things like that, right? When people think of church membership, that's most of the time, that's what people, uh, church, sorry, church discipline, most of the time, that's what people are thinking about. But the reality is, every single one of us is under church discipline. If you're in the church, we're always under church discipline. Church discipline is not just correction when you've done something wrong. Church discipline is is instruction. Church discipline is discipleship. Church discipline is guidance, right? It's being guided along the right path. It's being kept within the covenant community of God. That's what church discipline is. So 
Jesus says that when he gives the church the authority to bind and loose, what he's saying is that the determination of the elders, like if um, somebody uh, is willfully living in sin and they're willfully uh, rebelling against God and they continue to do that, and the elders make the decision after trying to reconcile that person uh, to uh, ask that person to be removed from membership, then Jesus says, I stand behind that decision. That, that decision is, if, is, is as if it came from me because he's delegated that authority to the church. And there's three reasons that church disciplines here. There's three reasons that it exists. Number one, for the glory of God. Because we bear Jesus' name. We're ambassadors. The very word Christian means little Christ, right? So uh, Paul tells some people in Romans chapter 2, some Christians who are running around saying that they were followers of Jesus, but they were living in sin. He tells them, he says, you are, uh, the name of God is being blasphemed because of you. The name of God is being blasphemed because of you. So church discipline exists for the glory of God, also for the good of the church and the good of the one disciplined. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth about a man who was living in open um, sexual sin. And they had not dealt with it. And they had just kind of been letting it go on. So here's what Paul says to them. He says, Though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What that means is that you are to remove this person from membership so that, why? For the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It's for the good of the one being disciplined. It's kind of like if you've, got a, if you've got a child, why do you discipline your child when they're doing something that's destructive for their own health? It's because you don't want them to continue doing that thing that's destructive for their own health, right? It would be unloving for a parent to just continue to withhold discipline and let their young child do whatever they want, even if it's leading to uh, their own demise. That's not a loving thing for a parent to do. In the same way, Paul's telling the church, hey guys, it's not a loving thing for the church as a whole. It's not a loving thing for that person individually. It's not loving at all to just withhold discipline and just look the other way. Because the reality is, is if nothing is said, then that person is going to continue down that destructive path. I mean, if you were walking towards a cliff and you were blind to it, wouldn't you want somebody to point it out to you and say, hey, wait, stop going that way. You need to turn around. It's also for the, the good of the church. In verse 6, Paul says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So he's saying, Guys, this doesn't just affect one person. It doesn't just affect the person who's living in the sin. It affects the entire church. Hebrews 13, 17 says that God, uh, that he says that your leaders keep watch over your souls. So uh, my job, Mike's job, Chris's job as elders, uh, we are, are shepherds, we're overseers. Our job is to keep watch over your souls. How do we do that? By teaching good and sound doctrine, by instruction, by correction, by praying for you, by interceding for you, by, by warning you of, of false or deceptive teaching. 
by keeping your eyes on Christ, by helping you keep your eyes on Christ, by constantly exhorting and encouraging you to believe the gospel to the end. Church discipline is something to embrace, not something to run from. Church discipline keeps us saved. It keeps us safe within the covenant community. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. When a sheep strays away from the flock, that's when it's at most in danger. Running from accountability to a local church is an indicator of one of two things. Okay? If, if you're here this morning and you're, you know, maybe in your past or maybe right now, you're like, I do not want to get too involved in any church. And I'm not talking about just this church. I'm talking about any church. I don't care what church you get plugged into. I really don't. You can get plugged into any church you want. I just want you to be committed to a local church that's healthy and that preaches the gospel. Ours, another one down the road, whatever. But there's two reasons that people don't commit to a church. And so if that's you, one of these two applies to you this morning. And you can judge for yourself which one it is. First, it may be that you have a fundamental misunderstanding of God and His grace. You see, some people hide the truth out of fear of condemnation and judgment. They're afraid that if, if God really knew what I was like, or if other people in this church or another church really knew what I was like, I'd be judged. I'd be condemned. It's a fundam- fundamental misunderstanding of who God is. It misunderstands that, that God is, is merciful and gracious, that He's steadfast in His love, that His mercies are new every single morning. You may have arrived at this fear because of a previous bad experience at a church. Maybe you went to a church and you didn't get a good example of grace. Maybe you were judged unfairly. Maybe they did look down on you and they did you know, not accept you for your past or something like that. If that's you, know that Jesus offers you grace today. I don't care what that other church did in the past. Jesus offers you grace today. If that's true and they did that to you, then they weren't representing Jesus Christ. The gospel says that grace is free and that it's available to anybody no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. Jesus died for you and he loves you and he wants you to come to him. And he will accept you as you are, but he's not going to leave you where you are. He's not going to leave you where you are. He's not just going to, okay, don't change. Now, it could be a fundamental misunderstanding of God and his grace that you don't want to commit to a local church, or it could be that you just don't want to give up your sin. You want to keep your options open. Yeah, I know that I should probably commit to this, but there's a lot of other things I want to. And so I know that if I commit to a local church, that that's gonna, I'm going to be walking into the light, that my life is going to be under examination, that people are going to ask me questions, that I'm not going to be as, as free to keep my options open. And what I really want is I want this sin over here and I want my options open. And I don't want people asking me deep and personal questions about my life. That's between me and God. But we just saw, guys, that that's not biblical. There is no, there is no you and Jesus without you and the church. It doesn't exist. It's, it's, it's a lie. If this is, if this is true, if you... Uh, want to keep your options open and you, and you don't want to commit to a local church because you want your sin instead, it means that you're not a Christian. And my prayer is that you'll become one. But a Christian leaves everything behind to follow Jesus. 
like we saw at the beginning of the sermon. A Christian leaves everything behind to follow Jesus. Does this commitment to a, a local church matter? You bet it does. You bet it does. Like I said, guys, I don't care if you commit to this local church. I just want you to commit to a local church. My desire is that, is that followers of Jesus all across this city, all across this country, would come to realize and recognize the importance of the local church. It breaks my heart that people um, have such a negative view of what church is, that when people think of church, they think of a building with stained glass windows, with priests that wear robes who give out strict rules. That's not the church. The church is a community. The church is was what, what Jesus' relationship with his disciples looked like. Go read through the Gospels sometimes. If you want to know what church looks like, go look at how Jesus related with his disciples. That's how we're called to relate to one another. That's the kind of church we want to be here at Fellowship Oshawa. That's the kind of community we want to reflect to those around us. But we need you. We need your gifts. We need you to commit to be a part of it. We need you to, to serve this local church with your gifts. This local church dies without people. This church will die without people that use and use their gifts to serve one another and to serve our community. You, wanna, you want purpose in life? You want to know why you're here? You want to have meaning? This is it. This is why God's put you on the planet. To use your gifts to serve Him. Three quick applications and we're done. Um, first of all, Know why commitment to a local church matters and be bold with your family and friends about it. You're going to come across this topic all the time if you're active in sharing the gospel. You're going to hear from a lot of people that they're open to the idea of God, but they're closed to the idea of the church. You need to be able to answer that question and explain why, number one, commitment to a local church is necessary and also why it's good. Like, why would we not want that? I think a lot of people just don't even understand what the church is. Um, because they have this false idea of what a church looks like. And they've never seen community that looks like what we see in here because it's so rare, right? Secondly, lead by example. Use your gifts to serve the body. Let's be an attractive community that attracts people to Jesus, that makes people say, man, I want to be involved in that. I want to be in a community where there's grace being handed out like that all the time. I want to be in a community where people are that on fire for Jesus. I want to be in a community like that that loves their enemies, that prays for the people that are persecuting them. I want to be a part of that. That's different than anything else I've seen in the world. And third, like I said, be committed. Is there something holding you back? Is it maybe something in your past? As 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, God's, you're not going to be met with judgment when you are open about your life. Even if you're living in sin right now, you're not going to be met with judgment by God when you come out with that, when you bring it to the light. You're going to be met with grace. And I promise you that that's how you'll be met in this church too. I don't know how other churches may have responded to you before. Maybe you weren't responded to with grace, but I can tell you at this church, you'll be met with grace. And if you're not and I find out about it, that person that, was, that treated you wrong is going to be in trouble with me because this is a church of grace. This is a church where we want it to be, we want you to be safe to be able to talk about whatever's going on in your life and not be met with judgment. What do you not leave, what do you not want to leave behind to follow Jesus? Don't be like the rich young ruler that walked away sadly that said, eh, 
I'd like to commit to Jesus and, and to his community to follow, to join his band of disciples, but I don't want to leave behind my riches. I can't leave this behind. Don't be like the rich young ruler. Don't be a fool. Leave it all behind to follow Jesus. Leave behind your father, your nets, your fishing boat, and go and follow him. If you're, um, if you're interested in talking more about committing to this local church and church membership, um, you can mark it on the connection card, uh, and then you can put it in the basket when it comes by later. Um, and we are going to be having a meeting next, next Sunday um, for members of the church, and so you're welcome to come and talk with me about that. Uh, and if you're interested in giving your life to Jesus this morning, if you'd maybe say um, that you've never actually done that before, you've never truly um, placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that you don't really feel like you're a part of God's community, uh, of the Jesus' community, and you don't feel uh, like you're um, united with Christ, that, that you have a new relationship with God, you can do that today just by praying and confessing your sins to God and asking Jesus to come into your life and forgive you. And I pray that you will. Um, we're going to, we did have some discussion questions, but since we're running a little long um, this morning, uh, I'm just going to ask uh, Beth to come up, and we're going to get ready to close. Um, so while we're doing this closing song, uh, I'm also going to ask Chris to come up. Um, we're going to get ready to take tithes and offerings. While we're doing that, I just want you to uh, sit in your seat and uh, spend some time with God and reflect on what's holding you back from committing to God's people and to God himself the way that he's called you to, right? Spend some time uh, praying uh, and talking to God uh, there in your seat. And I'm going to ask Chris to come up and do our offering.